Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Randy Mitchell. Jesus said to his disciples, Ye are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Salt and Light confronts the difficult and often controversial issues that affect today's culture. The only hope for this generation is for more people to follow Jesus Christ and for his followers to be salt and light in their community. Pastor Randy will discuss the Bible solutions to help us know what God says about the problems we face today. Salt and Light is a ministry of Temple Baptist Church in Statesville, North Carolina. Here's your host, Pastor Randy Mitchell. The Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 15 and verse number 10 makes a very bold statement. He said this, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. Welcome to Salt and Light Broadcast. I'm Randy Mitchell, joined by my wife, Lynn Mitchell. Uh, good to be here with you here on Salt and Light. Um, how are you today, Sister Lynn? Um, I'm good this morning. All right. Yeah. Good. Glad to hear it. Um, yeah, we had a good morning. A uh, little hectic. It's always hectic when we have radio together. I think you had to fend for yourself for breakfast this morning, but you don't know what I have for breakfast. Yeah. Well, I do, too. I, I saw what you had what for did, breakfast. What did you see? Oh, is this a test? No. Well, maybe. You had cottage cheese and papaya fruit. Nope. Well, I saw you eat that. I did, but I ate something else. Okay, well, what was it? I had a meatloaf sandwich. No way. Yeah, <laughs> I did. It was calling my name. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, it's like meatloaf's okay, but a meatloaf sandwich the next day For is breakfast. great. For wow. breakfast. For breakfast. Well, I was at breakfast with one uh, with a, a friend here just the other day, and over at Cracker Barrel, a lot of people don't know that you can get uh, grilled catfish for breakfast mm -hmm. and uh, a lot of people think that's weird but I love it I mean I'll get grilled catfish and uh, a couple of fried eggs a bowl of fruit healthy not bad on our diet and uh, still uh, still pretty good but anyhow you ought to try it. that's not a plug for Cracker Barrel but no uh, it's good it, neither is yours a plug for meatloaf sandwich but no. the meatloaf yesterday for supper was awfully good it was <laughs> All right. Well, uh, let's get back to our topic here. Uh, it is good. I, I appreciate you being here on Salt and Light, Lynn. Uh, it's always a joy to serve together here on the radio. And I know, uh, I just want to say this, I don't think that you'll mind me saying it. I know that this is not something that you're comfortable with. And I, it always makes me reflect back to when I first started doing radio and uh, I mean, it was every single second, it was like dying a thousand deaths. And after doing it for what, over 10 years now, it's only dying a hundred deaths. Oh, okay. <laughs> and, uh, but it is nervous. I mean, cause you know, I preach and I'm, I'm in front of people three, four, sometimes more times per week. And when you're talking to people, you can get some, some feedback. You can tell whether they're attentive, whether they're interested. Uh, whether they are with you or not, whether they like what you're saying, whether they hate what you're saying, but at least you have some feedback. But radio and live stream, you know, we're talking to people out there. We don't know who's listening, and it just adds uh, an element of nervousness. And so I certainly have compassion on you and appreciate you being willing to be part of Salt and Light, even though I know it's not something that you really just uh, look forward to doing. Well, we've always enjoyed serving the Lord together, and I know there's a need for a lot of times we just talk about home or things that apply to life, and so I know I can add some input to that 
and I hope the Lord will use us both together. Well, we've got a lot of listeners out there that are ladies, and uh, you are a, you're able to bring a perspective that can help them in ways that no pastor can can help. And so uh, I think it's a good thing, and I appreciate you once again being part of Salt and Light. I, I opened with Paul's statement where he said, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. And our topic today is about losing your identity. We've had a lot of conversations about this in the past, uh, really the past, what, three or four months, and uh, just some things that, um, that God has allowed us to go through in our life. And I'm thankful, Lynn, that God's always working in our lives. And just when we think that we've got things figured out is usually when we find out that we don't have anything figured out. And I was talking at uh, Bible study last night, uh, our Wednesday night Bible study out of Proverbs. And we went, ended up going over to Matthew where Jesus said, uh, speaking of himself being the cornerstone, he said, whosoever shall fall upon this stone shall be broken but on whomsoever it shall fall, it will grind into powder. And we talked about how that the best thing that we can do is we can fall upon Jesus. And if that happens, there's going to go with it some brokenness. And we're going to go through some things in which God is trying to break us, not to harm us, but rather so that he can bless us. Everything in life, there's an identity. I just went to the doctor's office the other day, and the first thing you do is you give them your date of birth. That's pretty much your identity. And mine's 11 one <laughs> I'm not going to tell. It's nobody's business. I, I will next week, folks, when she's not here. No. I, be sure to tune in next week. No, but or your driver's license, social security number, there's always identity. But there's so many times we proceed through life, and because of circumstances or events that cause us to lose our identity or to lose focus. Uh, life's a cycle as we know it. And we think that once we get our families raised that it should be smooth sailing after that, but mm -hmm. it's really not. Yeah. Well, we live in a time where identification is important. We have to have some identification, yes. whether it's a... Uh, a driver's license, a social security number, or a passport. We've been on mission trips before where we've had people in our group either lost or have their passport stolen, and uh, it creates a big hardship. It makes it difficult to go to get back or to, you know, to cross uh, borders in different countries. You have to have that identification in order to get where you need to go. And identification is different than our identity, uh, let me make this statement before uh, before we go to break here in just a, a few moments. But uh, I heard someone say this, and I believe it to be 100% true. Uh, listen to this, folks. Every person will always behave consistently with the way they perceive themselves. That is why our identity is so important, because how we see ourselves, our behavior, everything that comes out of our life— uh, the Lord says, keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Our heart uh, has to do with the way that we perceive ourselves, And uh, oftentimes in life, we will lose our identity. Now, one point that I want to make before we go any further, Lynn, and that is this. Truly, there are two possible categories for our identity to fall under. According to the Bible, there's two different teachings. The Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15, for as in Adam all die, 
All right, being in Adam, that's our natural identity as humans, descendants of Adam, and just our natural identity. The Bible says that in Adam we die, even so in Christ shall all be made alive. So there's basically two kinds of people in, in the world in every generation, and that's people that are in Adam or people that are in Christ, the saved or the unsaved. And so what we are in Christ or in Adam, that's going to determine how we see ourselves. And so after the break, we're going to talk a little bit more about this, get into some theological terms, some practical things. I believe we're going to be talking about the Apostle Peter, who had a major identity crisis. I mean, he he had some problems that he went through that really cost him dearly and uh, definitely a, a time in life where he looked back the rest of his life and thought, man, I wish that I hadn't have lost my identity and made those mistakes. So stay tuned. After the break, we're going to talk more about losing your identity. Welcome back to Salt and Light. Once again, I'm Randy Mitchell, joined by my wife, Lynn Mitchell. We are talking today about losing your identity. I made a quote last segment. I think that it needs to be repeated. Every person will always behave consistently with the way they perceive themselves. Now, that sounds a little psychological, but it's not. It's a a truth. The Bible makes that very, very clear. Uh, It's a Bible principle, even though that's not a Bible quote. Excuse me. And so the way that we see ourselves, it's going to affect all of our behavior from the abundance of the heart, Jesus said, the mouth speaketh. Now, there's two options for our, our identity. We're either saved or we're lost. The Bible refers to two different um, terminology, a sinner or a saint. A lot of times people think that that term saint is referring to some Catholic, really, really good, devout Catholic person. But the term saint is the term the Bible uses for everyone that's been born again. Uh, The term comes from sanctified ones. Uh, That's kind of an abbreviated term for that. And so if you are saved, if Jesus Christ is your Savior, the Bible says that you're a saint. And it's so important that we see ourselves the way that God sees us. That would be our true identity. And so we go through life searching for identity, searching for meaning, and sometimes we can find it and then we can lose it. And uh, it it happens. I know I look back at my Christian experience, uh, Lynn, and I've had times where uh, just inadvertently, sometimes through erosion, sometimes through just trials and troubles, that different things in my life that I ended up uh, just kind of losing my identity and getting off track from where I needed to be. And we've been through that. And so I, I know the Apostle Peter went through a very similar thing. God called him to be one of his disciples, one of his apostles. He said that he left all. He left his business He left family and friends in order to follow Jesus. Jesus said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And Peter did that. And he was very devout. He was very uh, zealous, high energy. I mean, he would would be the main spokesman in the group. In the group of the disciples, Peter always seemed to be the alpha dog. 
and he was the one that always the focal point. He was the natural leader and all of that, but he ran into some conflict and it, it caused him to lose his identity. And so let's talk a little bit about what Peter went through. Yeah, Peter, I think he was a very prideful man. Um, it caused him some fear of man because of what he thought people would think of him. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he, uh, he, he was also, you say, prideful. He was very self-confident. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you'll recall, in fact, Jesus warned him in Matthew, excuse me, Luke 22 and verse 31, and the Lord said, Simon, Simon, behold, Satan hath desired to have you that he may sift you as wheat. But I have prayed for thee that thy faith fail not, and when thou art converted, strengthen thy brethren. You know, Jesus was God manifest in the flesh, and Jesus knew what Peter was going to do. And that prophecy, I'm not sure if Jesus said it because he uh, could see the future in Peter's life or if Jesus just had such a good knowledge of human nature and he knew Peter's heart that he was able to predict it just because he knew Peter's nature. And of course, when Jesus told Peter that, hey, I'm going to go to Jerusalem, I'm going to be crucified, Peter was like, far be it from thee. I mean, Peter said, no way, Lord, that's not going to happen. Peter had left everything and he had put all of his life staking it on the fact that Jesus was the Messiah, the coming king that's going to deliver them from Rome, from the Roman occupation. And so here Jesus is saying uh, this whole story here is going to end up in a loss. <laughs> We're going to end up in the, the loser's column. And Peter just had a hard time with that. And even in the Garden of Gethsemane, Peter's trying to protect Jesus. And he'd seen all that Jesus had done. He'd walked on water. He'd calmed the storm. He'd fed the hungry. He did all those miracles. And yet Peter thought that he needed to protect Jesus. And he pulled out his sword and tried to, tried to kill one of the high priest servants. And of course, Jesus rebuked him. And at that point, Peter... He was already having an identity crisis, but it really culminated at that point. And I think that Peter got pretty upset, pretty sideways with the Lord because things weren't going the way Peter wanted them to go. Um, <clears throat> there was one time where it says in the scripture that Peter followed from afar off. Mm-hmm. He always was in the background. He didn't want he wanted to follow Jesus, but he didn't really want to be associated. I think it was because he was afraid of what might happen to him. And then there was another story um, where he was confronted by a little servant girl, and she just kept at him. Boy, that little girl wasn't giving up. She's <laughs> like, aren't you with Jesus? And he's like, no, he kept denying it. And for a little girl to intimidate a grown man, but he was that fearful yeah, you know, he's a commercial fisherman, and in those days, those were those were manly men. I mean, they didn't have all the, the equipment that we have today. A commercial fisherman, if you shook Peter's hand, I guarantee you, you knew you were shaking the hand of a man. Yes. It would be rough hands and large from all of the work and so forth, muscular hands, and he was a very manly man and even willing to... to to take sword out and to try to defend Jesus. But then literally less than an hour later, 
he's cowering in fear to a little girl that's saying, <laughs> you were with Jesus. And he even adamantly, he has to add to it by cursing. Yes. And, and you know, they're like, your speech has berang you. Well, he's a fisherman, so I bet he could curse a blue streak. Huh? He probably could. He probably <laughs> he could. could. He knew all the words. <laughs> yeah. Back in those days, fishermen were also sailors. And so, yeah, he, he had all that going for him, but he, he was afraid I think that you're probably right. He was afraid that the same thing that was happening to Jesus might happen to him. But I think it's even more than that. I think that he was more afraid of what people thought of him, his reputation, his Mm -hmm. identity. He had an idea of himself, of who he was, that wasn't necessarily bad. He saw himself as a follower of Jesus. Jesus is the guy. And I'm following him. We're the victors. We're the ones that are going to win. And, you know, we're the winners. And so, but when everything started unraveling, what Peter was building his identity on, it wasn't a bad thing. It just wasn't the will of God. It wasn't, he wasn't seeing himself the way that the Lord wanted him to see himself. And that's why Jesus saw it coming and he said, Peter, I've prayed for thee. And thank God that Jesus still believed in Peter. He did. He knew this guy's going to deny me three times. And yet he said, when thou art converted, he said, strengthen thy brethren. Just because Peter failed miserably, just because he was, he, he was disloyal to the Lord, God said, I'm not, I'm not done with you. You're going to get through this. And thank God, I'm so thankful that the times where I've had my identity crisis, that God has always been faithful and always helped me through it. Well, we can't be too hard on Peter because every day there's things we do that we... Um, so the reason, the, th- the way that we can remedy that, though, is decide in advance who you're loyal to. And if I think it's a mindset that if... If you're confronted with something, you have to be thinking that way constantly or you can go back to being carnal. And that's what pride does. It makes us self-sufficient and we don't really think things through and we think, oh, it'll never happen to me. And so we don't prepare for it. Right. But just like Jesus said, the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. And Peter should have been praying, but he didn't think that he needed to pray because he was... He, he trusted in himself that, hey, I've got this. I, I, I can take care of myself. I'm never going to betray the Lord. What he needed to have the right identity saying, hey, I'm a sinner. I need Jesus. I need God's help more than ever. And if he would have trusted the Lord about what was getting ready to happen rather than thinking I can take control and I can stop it from happening, he would have been on his knees and saying, God, help me to respond to this the way I ought to. I think you nailed it right there is putting your trust in the Lord and not in yourself. And that's what prayer does. When we pray, we're praying that the Lord will take care of it, that he'll handle it. And it puts it out of our hands. Um, if we just pray words, then God's not we're not putting trust in God. Well, the entire concept of prayer is that, hey, I need you, God. Right. You know, we're, we're asking him for things. We're, we're worshiping him because we know we know he doesn't need us, but we know that we need him. And when we pray, we're constantly reminded of a great big God that, yeah, he's invisible to us, but his spirit is present. And when we pray, we know 
according to his word that he hears us. Well, Peter, after the betrayal, he went back to his old identity. He said, I go a fishing. Mm -hmm. And it's just amazing. Listen, folks, when you get away from God, I can promise you, if you're a believer and you've been saved and you're serving the Lord, if you get away from the Lord, what you're going to do, it's, it's consistent with almost everyone, you're just going to go back to your old life. And that's exactly what Peter did. Now, sin is certainly an identity thief. Uh, sin will take away our identity um, as Christians. But often, and we'll talk more about this next segment, uh, Lynn, but often it's actually something good that uh, flies under the radar of our conscience, of our mind, that can cause us to lose our identity, something that we're supposed to be. I'll give you an example, and once again, we'll talk more about this after the break. I'm, I'm a pastor, and I've, just re- I've been reflecting a lot here lately on 37 years ago. In fact, I, I, I was talking to a young man just the other day, and I shared my testimony of how I got saved when I was five, I drifted away from the Lord in my high school years, but then I surrendered to the Lord just before I turned 20. And when I surrendered to the Lord, God, over time, and you saw a lot of that happening even before we were married, God uh, put me into ministry, into something that I never thought I would ever have the ability, or I, I just didn't even dream that it was possible, but God put me into ministry. And I've had times where I have, um, with good intentions, allowed ministry to define who I am. And during those times, I've found that uh, it doesn't always go so well. God doesn't want to share uh, the identity I'm supposed to be with anything. We'll talk more about that after the break. All right, welcome back. Uh, Before the break, we were talking a little bit. I was sharing a little bit of my testimony about how that um, uh, getting right with the Lord, surrendering to ministry, how that uh, I've had times where I've lost my identity in ministry. But I want to go back even further. Um, I I grew up in a a Christian home. Uh, It wasn't a Christian home when I was real young, but my parents got right with the Lord when I was about seven or eight years old. And then uh, not long after that, my dad, he got away from the Lord. He got saved when he was 15. And according to his testimony, he felt that the day, the, right after he got saved, he felt that God had called him to be a preacher. And he ran from that. He ran from that for uh, over 20 years in his life. And uh, ultimately, he got right with the Lord. And just shortly after that, he surrendered to do what he knew God wanted him to do. So I went from kind of a non-Christian home growing up into the next thing you know, we're a Christian home. But not only that, I'm a PK. And if you don't know what PK is, that's preacher's kid. Mm-hmm. And that was a big transition. I didn't, I didn't know what to do with that. In fact, I look back and, you know, I'm just, it, it, it was something I honestly didn't know what to do with that. But that identity of being a preacher's kid, not knowing how to process that, uh, I don't think because my parents had not been walking with the Lord and then get right with God and they get totally in, they didn't know how to prepare us kids for that. And so uh, when I hit my teenage years, there were some identity crisis that I went through. 
And we saw a lot of heartache, a lot of hurt in churches. I saw a lot of inconsistencies, a lot of hypocrisy. And I did the foolish thing, like most people do, is I turned my back on God and church because of, quote unquote, all of the hypocrites. Mm -hmm. And it was just a lame excuse. It was an excuse to do what I wanted to do. But I, I lost my identity as a Christian because of that PK stigma, because of the hypocrisy that I saw in church. And so I found identity in the things of this world. I started, you know, in, in high school, you had basically two identities. You had people who partied and people who didn't. Mm-hmm. And I found that I, uh, you know, I got, it, it made me feel real good and real accepted when I jumped to the other identity and became one of the partiers. And I thought, well, this is great. I, I, I loved it at the time. It was more than just the, the pleasures of sin. It was the acceptance factor. Right. And we all search for identity from all through adolescence and all through our adult life, that search for identity. And then when we find the right identity hanging on to that or keeping on track with that, it, it's a struggle throughout our entire life. It is. I grew up in a Christian home most of my life. Um, in junior high, my, well, I, my dad became a pastor also, so I was a PK. We both were. But I, I grew up in Christian school. My dad, he, we, I was telling some of the kids at church the other day, one of the kids, their parents were cleaning buildings. I said, you know, my dad would do that. He put us through Christian school. That's how we had to help him. But he put us through Christian school. But everybody thinks, oh, you went to Christian school. Christian school isn't that much different. Um, they're still kids. They're still sinners. And they're still from homes that sometimes are broken or sometimes there's problems in the homes. So there's kids in there. Well, I was a kid. I was very bold in my witness. I was very bold in my beliefs. And I voiced it. And in seventh and eighth grade, I was... We would come, my friend and I, we were always, um, you know, we always made it known that we were Christians and that we we had strong faith. Well, the kids would say, oh, here comes the two missionaries, and I'm in Christian school. Mm -hmm. Or here comes Miss Goody Two-Shoes. And it wasn't that I was being prideful or anything. I would just, I love my Christ. I love my Bible. And um, so we were being, you know, scorned for that. Well, as I got in high school, it just beat me down. It it constantly uh, beat me down, and I, and everybody's always stereotyping you as the pastor's kid, and you are always expected to be more. So in tenth grade, I started getting away from the Lord, and I had that double life going on, where I was trying to do both. I was trying to still be the good Christian girl, but then also, I was. Um, trying to be accepted with my peers. And it's like, why do we try so hard? Why can't we just be who we are and not feel like that we have to be what other people want us to be? And that's a sad thing. And sometimes we see, and we saw this in college and career when we work with them, that kids, when they're trying to live that double life, that they will, in front of Christians, they clam up. They're afraid they're going to blow their cover. They're going to, they're going to say something. And then it, it's going to, um, people are going to realize who they really are. You know, most people say, oh, my kid, they're very shy, but they're not shy when they're around their yeah, friends. We've seen that numerous times. Yes. People that we thought were really, really shy when they get around their crowd, 
all of a sudden Mr. or Mrs. Bubbly and it's like, whoa, who is this person? We don't know that person. And that's because they sit in a church group or you're teaching the Bible to them and they're just, they're oppressed. They're, they're, they're not enjoying it because they have a different identity that they have chosen. And yes. so it's a strain on them to be around a Christian influence and because uh, they don't feel like that they fit in. I went through that. You went through that. I guarantee you all of our listeners have went through that and perhaps maybe even continue to go through that. This idea of peer pressure, it doesn't lose. We don't lose that when we get past our teenage no, years. Peer pressure is something that is universal. It is across generational, even older people. Now, there are some people who get into their senior citizen years and they do get to the point where they don't they don't care what anybody thinks, and some of those people just get kind of cranky and and uh, and irrational sometimes. But uh, we always care what somebody thinks about us. Right, and there's another thing I want to bring to our listeners' attention. And it's like young ladies and men, if you start a relationship with someone who has different standards or belief than you, and you think you can change them. Um, They'll wear you down little by little until you've lost your identity in Jesus Christ, and you'll 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 take on their identity to be accepted by them, and it a lot of times ends in disaster in relationships. Yeah, we talked about Peter having pride, just thinking about himself, but also that people pleaser type thing will cause you to lose your identity because you'll try to be what other people expect you to be. And uh, it'll wear you down and mm-hmm. it'll it'll stifle you. And eventually you'll either give in to something that you never thought that you'd give into exactly like Peter did. And this I'm telling you, the, the root of so much sinful behavior and so much heartache can be stemmed from this very truth of uh, being able to figure out what my identity is supposed to be now as a child of God. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 5.17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, we talked about being in Christ earlier in the, the broadcast today. If, he's, if we're in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. Sin is an identity thief, but uh, there are some other things that will cause us to lose our identity. Family, for instance. You know, I I have an identity, an identity as being a husband, as being a father. I mentioned earlier being a pastor. All of these are good things. But I know oftentimes even Christian people will put so much effort into their identity being these things. Family, even church, even religion. Uh, I can remember times in my ministry where I, I was, the way that I saw myself was as the minister, whatever the ministry was that I had, that's how I had made my identity. But the problem is, is there's no strength in that. It's a good thing, but Jesus doesn't want to share that with anyone. I think that leads us into the new identity of marriage. When we um, when we marry, it changes our identity again. It, life, like I said, is just through cycles and each cycle is changing and we have to adjust and you know we leave our father and our mother the bible talks about that and we establish a home we start a family and to me that has been the most precious times in life raising children 
um, you know, taking care of them, nurturing them, loving them, and watching them grow as adults. Um, but I thought that was the most difficult time when I was in it was raising children, but we're finding that that's not. Well, we need to remember that everything in this life is temporary. The only thing that's in eternal is Jesus Christ. And that's why Paul said in Philippians 1.21, for to me to live is Christ. And anything else in our life, if Jesus Christ is not in the first and foremost place, listen, Jesus doesn't want to be high on our priority list. He wants to be top mm -hmm. in our priority list. And when we put even good things, whether it be ministry or family, a higher priority than him, then we're putting, we're building our life and our identity on something that is not going to last. You know, eventually, I know we're at the age where we're looking ahead. Most of our life is behind us more than what's in front of us, right. unless we live to be really, really old. <laughs> Lord not, forbid. <laughs> and, and, and our listeners don't know how old you are. No. They've got to listen to next week when I'll reveal that. Oh. I'm just joking. <laughs> maybe. <laughs> but most, you know, most of our life is behind us. And we recognize that one of these days, you know, either I'm going to be here without you or you're going to be here without me. And we've seen this in ministry that people who live their whole life for their spouse, you know, they may live 20, 30 years in as a widow or a widower, and they don't know what to do with their life. They have to rediscover their identity and same way with children. Our children are grown and out of the home. That was an adjustment, uh, probably uh, for both of us, but probably more so for you as a mother because you're at home raising the kids, you homeschooled. And, you know, people can talk about it being empty nest or whatever. I think it's way more complex than just calling it empty nest. Yes, it's not anything about... And that's something I just discovered this last year. It's not about your home being empty or being lonely or missing your children, but it's more of your, your, you're losing your purpose. You mm -hmm. have duties you do to take care of that person and they're gone now. And so then, and it's reacquainting yourself with your husband because you're my total focus besides Jesus Christ right now. And so it's just a big readjustment. Yeah, I mean, with our children, um, they were in the home for quite some time. Literally, you were a mother for near, nearly 30 years. Mm -hmm. And so that's a long time. And then to make that adjustment uh, this late in life, it's not always the easiest thing. Mm -hmm. I know in, with me, I, I, I served as an assistant pastor for a little over 13 years. And now I've been serving as a pastor for over 15 years, what an adjustment in life and responsibilities and focus. But the important thing is that these aren't the things that we We've been talking about our identity this morning and particularly losing our identity. We talked a little bit before the break, Lynn, about transitions in life and changes mm -hmm. uh, uh, going from to the empty nest, as people call it, uh, being a mother, having children in the home. They grow up and they leave the home. Uh, we change jobs. We change ministries. I've been through that, different walks in life and so forth. All of these changes, because no matter how much we try to hold on to things the way they are, things always change. 
but there's one particular thing that I want to make sure we talk about here in this last segment today, and that is uh, we uh, grief. Mm-hmm. Grief, disappointment. Even divorce. Divorce. Yes. And, and all of that's under the category of grief. Grief is the sorrow of a loss, mm-hmm. and we lose things in life that we didn't want to lose, we didn't expect to lose. It may be the sudden death of a loved one, somebody that is very important to us in our life, and then all of a sudden they're gone. I went through that, the loss of my father. It was an unexpected accident, and boy, you, I remember, and you remember, we, were, yes. we went through that together, just that sudden unexpected loss and how for uh, over a year, I, I struggled with my identity. I had something in my, in my soul that just felt like that was just ripped out from underneath me. And it took me, me and God's grace, a little over a year to figure out how to get through this. And we've got listeners that have went through the, the loss of a, a loved one, a parent, a spouse, a child. Uh, all of these different things, and it can cause a huge identity crisis. I, w- I was talking to you the other day about our widows, and it's so hard for them, especially even coming back to church if they went to church with their spouse and you just see them hurting. And, um, but, you know, you're, you're two become one when you get married. But then when you're just one, it's like you lose half of you. And everything is different because I think as a woman, my identity is more in you than I really realize. Um, without your husband, you're just you and your whole life changes. Mm-hmm. And that's, like I said in the previous segment, that's a good thing. It's the way that God designed us to be. Right. But th- the problem is when our total focus is on those things. Certainly, I think a marriage, if if someone's married, the two become one flesh, according to the Bible. On our list of priorities, when we think of our identity, that certainly is probably number two on the list. Jesus Christ needs to be number one on that list. And as long as we keep all of that in the proper perspective, then we can go through life, not in this self-protection mode. You know, a lot of times people with their identity, they, they become so afraid of loss and transition and change that they just build up these invisible walls and they won't let anybody in. If we will put Jesus Christ first, then even though grief and loss, even transition and change may not be the easiest thing, we can get through it as long as we put Jesus Christ in that number one seat as far as our identity is concerned. Loss, um, even through divorce or grief, it can consume you. You know, someone that's divorced, it seems like when it first happens, that's all they want to talk about, and it consumes them. We talk about our hurts. We, that's just human we nature. We absolutely do. But I know it takes time to heal. But once that healing is done or you you look to Christ for your healing, then you need to move on with life and take on a new identity and focus on something else. Because it will... I've seen so many people that death has become of their parent or their spouse has become who they actually are. Mm -hmm. And a lot of times people, when these transitions and these losses happen in life, they, rather than running to God like we should, they end up blaming or getting angry at God because of what they're going through. 
We have some examples in the scripture. Job is the prime example who suffered all kinds of loss, all kinds of transitions. There were things going on in the invisible world that he didn't even have a clue. God understood. The devil was certainly involved in all of that. And through all of that, you know, I find that God never did coddle or or he, he never was really concerned about Job emotionally as much as he was concerned about Job's character. Mm-hmm. And at the end, Job did just exactly like he said. He said, when he has tried me, I will come forth as gold. So Job was a man that God said was perfect and escheweth evil. Everything about Job was right, but there was still another level of closeness to the Lord that Job could experience, and it only happened through that crisis and through that loss. And so rather than despising all of these identity crises and the continual things that we go through in life, we need to recognize that God is allowing all of these so that we can find that next level. Listen, people who have lost their identity, you talk to all of them and you find that their personal devotional time has dwindled, that their beliefs start shifting, they lose their passion for Christ, they lose their joy, their sense of purpose, and the reason being is because they've they've done the exact opposite in response to what they should. They've ran away from God instead of running to God. Right, and we looked at, at Peter even further on in, in John chapter 21, um, and then after Jesus had resurrected and all that, so what does God want to do? He said, let's go and dine. So there's always food, right? <laughs> so they're going and dine, and Peter's like... He, I he's, knew you'd go there. <laughs> he, he's probably worried. That's what I like about you. Because he says... Um, the meatloaf sandwich for breakfast, lady. <laughs> yeah, I bet they didn't have meatloaf. But, um, but Peter, you know he's worried when he sees Jesus. <laughs> Don't you think? Because he, he said, I'm not going to deny you. And he... he he did three times, yeah. and so he, he's, Jesus has asked him, "Lovest thou me?" What and how many times did Jesus ask him that? That was what was really popped out at me this morning. Three the, times, the same amount of times, same that amount Peter of times. betrayed him. Yeah, and um, go ahead. <laughs> so, well, you think about that. Jesus, Jesus never raked Peter over the coals. He never said, you know, hey, you denied me three times, Peter. He, he never looked for justice. Jesus knew Peter's heart. And Peter went out fishing, but as soon as he recognized that, hey, on shore, there's the Lord, Peter, Peter understood after the resurrection, Peter understood everything that he needed to know. He recognized that he had been wrong in his mentality and his behavior. And so when he was out fishing and Jesus says, come and dine, Peter, I mean, immediately dove into the water, swam to shore, and there he was right there. And that's when that dialogue took place. And Jesus asked Peter three times, Simon, lovest thou me more than these? And the these, I think he was referring to, were the fish that they had caught because that's what Peter's identity was before he was a fisherman. And Jesus is saying, do you love me more than these? And Peter had to make a decision. Are you going to go back to your original identity? Follow me and I will make you to be fishers of men. 
And uh, when Peter said, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee, uh, Jesus said, Peter, feed my sheep. And what a wonderful story of grace that here's a guy who was fallen, who was broken, who messed up royally. He recovered. He, he came clean. He, he was real before God. And because of that, he was forgiven. And then also he was restored, not just to fellowship, but also to ministry. God, Jesus said, Peter, I trust you now. And what a wonderful story that Jesus would say, Peter, I, even though you've messed up, I still trust you, and I want you to take care of my sheep. Yeah, I just have a few more things to say, and then I'll let you wrap up. Um, if you don't have identity in Christ, you'll live your life selfishly or trying to please others. And that's what Peter did. Um, your thoughts, affections, and your ambitions and desires should be in as in Colossians, what it says, set your affection on things above, not on earth, the things on the earth. And um, so that's, we need to set our affection on Christ and not on this earth. And then that will make your identity in Jesus Christ. Amen. I like how you use that Colossians reference where Paul said, set your affection on things above, not on things in this earth. And he goes on to say, for you're dead. And your life is hid with Christ in God. That reminds me of what Paul said in Galatians 2.20. He said, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Listen, if you are not saved, then you don't have an identity in Christ. And we want to encourage you. Uh, confess to the Lord that you're a sinner in need of a Savior and believe on Jesus Christ. Trust in what he did on the cross for Cal of Calvary and you can become a saint. You can become uh, redeemed, justified, called and chosen, accepted in the beloved and an ambassador for Christ and even a child of God. When I think about all the different terminologies for what my identity is in Christ, I like the Bible truth that, hey, if I'm saved, I'm a child of God. And if I see myself as a child of God, then it will affect how I behave. I am more likely to behave like a child of God if that's the way that I see my identity. Thanks for being here today, Sister Lynn. God bless you listeners. We'll see you next week. We appreciate you taking the time to join us at Salt and Light. It is our desire that you experience the joy of following Jesus Christ. He loves you and he died on the cross for your sins. He will give you hope, peace, and eternal life if you will repent of your sins and trust him as your savior. You may see yourself as a good person, but you will never be good enough to deserve heaven. You may see yourself as bad, but you can never be too bad for Jesus to forgive you. You can call upon him to save you this very moment. If you are a born-again Christian, we want to encourage you to obey Christ's command and be salt and light to those around you. We encourage you to find a Bible-believing church that does not compromise or water down the Bible and get involved serving the Lord. If you have a Bible question or a particular issue you would like us to discuss on Salt and Light, visit our website at templebaptistnc.com. Click on the Salt and Light link. Once again, that's templebaptistnc.com. May the Lord bless you. We hope you'll join us again next week.